Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, your host. And I'm real excited to have Alex Kalanda here in the virtual studio. And for our audience, Alex, where are you located right now? Um, hi, Philip. Thank you very much for hosting me on um, the Top Savvy podcast. I'm currently um, in Kigali, Rwanda. So this is a small country in East Africa, um, close to Uganda, DRC, Congo, and Tanzania, and Burundi in the south. Nice. So now you'll be the, the, we've had people on the show from uh, Europe. I've had people from, uh, from Jordan on the show, and of course, all across the America. And now you'll be the first on the show from, from Africa. So welcome. Uh, you and I got Thank connected. You. Yeah. You, you and I got connected through the uh, MasterCard African Un University Leadership Program uh, investor thing, and you reached out. You had an interesting story, and I wanted to have you on the show because you represent, you know, entrepreneurship of solving problems is kind of a universal attitude, and I, I love that. Um, but you are in a place where the, you have different difficulties than other people in other countries have different difficulties. So we want to, I want to get into that. So my first question for you is. When did you know you were an entrepreneur? Um, I think at the age of nine. Um, so that's uh, more than uh, almost 18 years ago, I guess, because um, I really grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So my dad and my mom, they own businesses. So I think at nine, I really began small you know, business with my brother, but nine, but technically 16. When I was 16, I knew whatever I wanted to do just to be in entrepreneurship, wanted to, to do civil engineering. Um, of course, I did get into engineering school, but at the end of the day, I just knew entrepreneurship is the thing. It just right. keeps me alive. Nice. And, and, you know, compared to your friends, were you the odd person wanting to do entrepreneur or did you have like everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur? Um, not necessarily everyone to be an entrepreneur. Actually, some would really... Um, try to talk you down into getting into such spaces. But I think for me, the self-net I really had, which is different from my friends, was, you know, from back home, um, where I already knew what it took, uh, you know, the resilience, um, you know, the, the vision, the, you know, the optimism, and eventually the reward, you know, once things get, go through. Um, yeah. So I think for me, I had that self-net, yeah. I love that. I love the that you you had the inspiration from your parents and that resilience that you knew that you had to be resilient and you put one foot in front of the other. That's a great life lesson that everybody can appreciate. Uh, and so you were an engineer. You went to school for engineering, but that's not what you ended up doing. So when you were in school, from an and that was for civil engineering, if I remember right from my notes. And yep. what did you, you st what was your first business then, you know, and I guess your first real business uh, that you started? 
Yeah, so this was when I was 16. Um, so in high school, there's this program called Junior Achievement. So Junior Achievement Worldwide is actually an NGO, I think operating about 100 countries. So basically what they do, um, they have an eight-month program in high school. So they came into our school, I think around 2010, and they were telling us to form businesses. So I think 10 of us, you know, my friends, we formed a business who were publishing a magazine. Um, so that was my first business. Okay, nice. And so you took advantage of that. That's wonderful. And then after, after the publishing, what was the next business that you did? Um, yeah, so after publishing my next, you know, business that I really went to was um, Internet of Things, um, because at that time I was trying to finish up my high school and getting into university, but also I began reading a lot. Um, anything that really came across my, my eyes, magazines, um, these were things like The Economist, Harvard Business Review, so I really got then exposed into tech, and that's how I really got into excited about Internet of Things, so um, I think maybe to make it simpler, being able to control devices uh, using a mobile phone. I think that was very intriguing. And um, I, I remember I started up um, a small business around around that space, basically designing like circuit boards um, for devices to control utilities in homes. Okay, so you were even an engineer back then, uh, figuring out the Internet of Things and, and device boards. Well, technically, I wasn't like an electrical engineer, but it was a space I really I got into because of my background in construction. Okay. Um, because in, in civil works, you're always you know looking at plumbing works, electrical works. So I had that understanding that then I was I was figuring out ways on how you know we can um, be able to monitor um, usage of our utilities in homes. Got it. And in the you know. Uh, and then from that business, so you had that, and, and what did you do? How did that work? Did you, did it, was it successful? Did you shut it down? What, you still have it? What did you do with that? Yeah, so that wasn't, that, that wasn't successful because I think that was around 2014. So what happened was that there was a huge um, scenario to do with hacking, internet hacking. And I think internet of things, they, they, the devices really had a vulnerability globally. Um, and then, you know, looking back in Uganda, you know, where I was setting up my business and working with a couple of colleagues, we didn't have things like 3D printers. And right. at the time, one of our biggest challenges was after designing these circuit boards, how are we even going to print simple MVPs? And, and the alternative was really actually sending designs to Shenzhen, China, to have someone basically print our circuit boards and then ship them back. Um, to then be able to integrate our software and, you know, ATC. So because of the challenge of um, software, sorry, of uh, lack of 3D printers and then um, the vulnerability and security, I, I really didn't want to push out something which we didn't have um, a strong technical background on um, to basically mitigate the risks. So that then opened me up to my next journey, literally figuring out on how can I get into spaces that are very um, technical, very entrepreneurial, very innovative. And that's how I end up applying to different um, organizations that I work with. Yeah, very nice. I think you said something that's very important for people to understand. You, you, you saw an opportunity, you, you tried to create something with the Internet of Things, you went down this road. 
and you used the word risk, right? That it was risk, you know, to send something to China and come back and the, the risks with the, the product. And a, a lot of startup companies have that same thing. You have to, a, a business is managing all the risks. At, at the end of the day, you have to put everything together. You have to build the product, find the customers and have enough profits to sustain the business. And there's, there's a balance there. Um, everybody has different um, starting points. So somebody that starts maybe in the hospital industry uh, wouldn't know anything about maybe the internet of things. And so they can't start that business at all. Uh, whereas somebody else uh, like yourself that read a ton and, and learned how to do it could start, but you didn't understand the supply chain. And as an entrepreneur, you learned what the su supply chain was and, oh, wow, this is a big risk. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Is that a, a, a good, you, did you, is that a good summary of what you learned? Um, um, yeah, um, definitely. And of course, there are different risks as well. So there are risks even before you start when probably you're not, you don't have the main expertise um, in the kind of product you want to push out into the market. Um, there's also other risks, of course, as you mentioned, you know, in the supply chain. But also importantly, a risk probably you don't even foresee, right? So I really didn't foresee this being a global, you know, basically that being a global hacking scenario that basically put most of startups at, um, at a standstill, you know, just because for investors to come in, you actually have to prove that your product is, um, you know, technically enough to resist some of these, you know, risks um, from, let's say, hacking perspective. But definitely risks are, um, some you can only determine as you move along. And, but then sometimes once, you actually come up across the risk that can actually turn out to be a huge value proposition if you figure out how to solve them. Yeah, I, I started as a network engineer uh, putting together computer networks. So when the internet of things started, I saw that they were not building it with the security uh, because at the time there was lots of security engineers and computers, but then suddenly the internet of things got created and there was not enough security engineers. So they just, they just built product and shipped. And then they discovered, yep, oops, it, we had problems. So yeah, I, I, I saw that happening. Um, so after the IoT business, what did you apply to a lot of different organizations? And so what happened then? Yeah, so basically what I learned at the moment was, okay, um, Alex, I think the area you're in requires you to have people who are basically world-class at a much higher level than I was at the time. So in terms of technical abilities, in terms of entrepreneurial abilities, um, even just even networks, being, you know, meeting the right people. So really I began applying to um, organizations like M um, MIT Global Startup Workshop, right? Where basically a, a student club at MIT goes around different countries organizing entrepreneurial events um, that accelerate the entrepreneurial and te technological system in the host country. Um, so luckily I got in and then I think also applying to institutions like ALU, African National University, where I knew that they don't really just focus on academics, but rather we also have the space to tinker with a couple of ideas and actually build up solutions. So I think um, getting into those two spaces then spurred me on to, um, to then take my learnings that gotten 
from the IoT um, integrating basically hardware and software. And then I decided hardware is actually very challenging. Let me now focus on software. So then that when that's when really I got into things like AI and, and machine learning moving forward. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. But you said something that I'm I'm gonna you said luckily I got in. And from my perspective, you had learned that using your voice and talking to people and getting out of your comfort zone and applying to different things, um, not everybody does that. And so getting out and talking to people and saying, here's what I want to do, here's where I'm going, and, and, and being resilient as you were, that's something every single person who's an entrepreneur startup has. They have a voice and they can get out and talk to people and be make connections and build that network and social um you know, look for that hand up and that help up. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's luck. I think it's your, more of your determination. Well, uh, there is that, but also now, for example, when I was applying, let's say to like ALU, so basically what happened was, you know, I, I usually had like a list of things I applied to, right? So I look at maybe the deadline or maybe how aligned they are to what I want to do next. Um, somehow ALU wasn't like really at the top because I was already, you know, in school. But then it was a deadline, I did apply, but I don't know what happened then. Maybe my network or something happened. Then I just couldn't complete before the deadline. Um, and then maybe the next day I was actually going for a trip. But then that day, just before I entered the bus, I got an email saying the deadline had been extended. Um, and to, to even make it more real, um, maybe attuned to, to my time at the moment, they actually extended by just five days of which I was going to spend four days at this trip, meaning literally I would go, have this trip, then come back and actually continue the application. Basically that's what happened. And after applying, I think two weeks later, I got my admission later. So I, I think their luck really played a role. Yeah. Yeah, I, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Luck played a role, but willing to seize the luck and not go, gee, I'm going to take four days and, and be lazy and just rest. I'll, I'll get it done. Right. That's what, that's that resilience part. So good on you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So now you're in a program and you're getting exposed to AI. What, what does that mean? Cause AI today, artificial intelligence is everywhere. What, what does it mean for you? Um, so, you know, at that time, I think because I was reading a lot, as in anything in the tech space, something I really had to read about. I think at that time, around 2014, 2015, you know, IBM, you know, had so many platforms. Um, sorry, rather the Watson platform and introducing a lot of initiatives. So I got into one of the programs called IBM Entrepreneur, um, Entrepreneur Program. Um, basically, there, what they did, they just gave you literally just credits to work on your idea for like a year. So then that really exposed me to, you know, this space of how can you leverage machine learning or AI to actually to basically teach, more or less like teaching a computer to do um, what people can literally be doing if, if it's supervised or not supervised at all. Um, so that gave me a very good, you know, understanding um, of, of that space, taking courses, you know, getting certifications, um, and figuring out what you know you could use that to solve some of the major problems you have, let's say in Africa or in the developing world. Got it. And out of that, what company did you build, or what did you try building, or what 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 happened with the AI? 
Yeah. So, so for me there at the moment, the first thing I think was, was in school where, you know, I was trying to help out one of, you know, when I went to school, I was actually surprised. I've never really been in school where I was studying with, you know, visually impaired friends of mine. Um, oftentimes when you're in school and maybe you're in college, you build like key relationships. So I was really figuring out a way on how I can make their lives better. So what, what, what I did really was to engage with them. It was really a very, I wouldn't say difficult conversation, but I had to initiate a conversation from the perspective of how can I make your life better even though you're visually impaired. So what then I did was to build a model where um, they can easily navigate their surroundings in school. Um, so that meant, you know, borrowing a camera from, from one of my friends, taking as many pictures as I could um, in different lightings, in different settings, so that you can come up with a model that's not so biased, um, that then they can be able to use this on your mob mobile phone to be able to detect if they're wearing a red shirt or not. Um, okay. Or if, yeah, or if, you know, there is a toothbrush on their table or not. Um, or if, you know, there is something, right, in, in their forward. So that was the idea. Nice. And where did, and, and so you came up with that idea and, and where did that go? Where did that idea go? What, what happened? Yeah. So for me, that was really um, just to prove my skill set, but also to help my friends. But it was more in terms of an academic program. So it was really about, you know, at the end of like a, an academic program and then figuring out or asking people to just come up with a program or a, like a capstone project, if you can call it that. Got so it. For me, that's uh, what I, yeah, I, I really came up with. And then, so let's go, you know, move forward to, you know, what was your first real business then as you, you sort of say, hey, this was my first big attempt at a business before we get into the, where you pivoted to your finance stuff. So you, yeah, you, so I, okay, so I think after that, then um, it was really about getting into the media space. <laughs> uh, I know it's crazy, um, but it, I think at the time getting into producing podcasts, um, but before we actually making a podcast, we were focusing on, on online radio. So at the time I was sitting down with friends and figuring out, you know, how can we keep people entertained in moments where, you know, they have nothing else to do wherever they are. And this was when I was like in Mauritius. Um, so imagine you're in, in different areas of Mauritius, but you're bored, um, but you want to listen to some amazing stuff. So what, what do you need to do? And that's when we really co-founded an online radio with uh, two of my other co-colleagues. Um, so the idea here was for students to come up with radio shows that can be held at different moments in time and then different topics to keep people entertained in community. That went on well. We actually got about 6,000 listeners in within three months um, you know, from different countries um, around the world and oversubscribed in terms of number of shows that students actually wanted to, um, to host themselves because first we said okay we want host we're just facilitating people to host their own their own shows and then that's how i think the university came in in terms of wanting to start up a podcast and then they reached out to us so they literally became our first paying customer nice so and you know again it's one of those you know just that inquisitiveness wanting to create something do something build it and and see where it goes and now let's let's 
move forward in time. So where where did what was next? I'm still I'm still waiting to get to the point where you've done all these things, and I'm I'm waiting to get to the point where we we're talking about the ban banking transactions. But you know, I want to hear the story because it's uh, you know you're going left and right, and and I want to see where you go next. So what what did you do next? Yeah. So basically. After that, I think that was when the pandemic really hit in. So that's March 2020. Now we're pivoting from the pandemic, but continuing till um, um, around that time. Then I got admitted at, at Stanford um, in the technology entrepreneurship class, and then also interning the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. That's the entrepreneurship center at Stanford School of Engineering. Um, so it, it was then that then the I, other ideas that I had come up with, you know, growing up really, because of being in the construction space, the idea then was, um, or I rather knew the type of people who are working in this space and how probably can create more work opportunities. So I just felt like, you know, with more confidence I'd gotten, you know, from all this Stanford stuff, I just felt like it was the right time to actually build out the solutions and, you know, scale it out there. Um, to basically create work opportunities um, for people. Um, so then around that time, that was my focus, um, figuring out a will and how, you know, I can put all of this from just ideas to consolidate into a product and then, you know, push it out there. And, and the the product that you decided to push out there, what you want to describe, what, what was the pain or problem that you were trying to solve? So the pain here was the fact that um, people, let's say in the informal space, I think maybe for other areas around the world, they really call it that the gig, they call it the gig economy. Um, the idea here, people lack the visibility to be seen in terms of the quality of skills that they can offer. Um, oftentimes the platforms that were there mainly focused on um, people who had let's say blue collar jobs and not necessarily the informal space, but also people who really needed this, um, the people in the informal spaces want the people that they can trust, people that you know they know they can deliver. Um, so that was some of the pain, um, one of the pain points that the people were facing. Great. And how big did you get that built out to? How many did you get? The how many users did you get, and how, where is it at today? Yeah. So basically, um, I admit an MVP um, first of all, and then um, to, you know to test it out. Um, I think around around October um, 2020, then the idea was, you know, how can we incorporate to then start off to make it official? Um, so ideally, the idea was to first incorporate in more like in Mauritius, so where I was at the, at the moment. Um, but because of the pandemic, I think most of the offices were closed. So then I had to figure out, because I knew I just had to start, but then I had to figure out where else can I actually incorporate and flight down. So I somehow I managed to incorporate remotely in, in Rwanda and then Nigeria later on. And then I think three or four months later, we got into Israel Mass Challenge Accelerator as one of 42 startups uh, globally um, in the 2021 cohort. So right now we are both in Kigali, Rwanda and in Lagos, Nigeria. And we have mobile applications, uh, basically one for clients, we call them clients, basically people who are looking for um, informal, I wouldn't say informal workers, but basically people who can offer their services and also another application basically for people in the informal space, right, or small businesses who need the visibility um, on, on the client side. And at the moment where we are from, from the traction and, and the feedback we've gotten, 
we started off with a self-care space. Um, so for now, we started off by onboarding various salons, both in Kigali and Lagos, um, after which we're adding on different uh, homo services. Got it. And so in that process of, of getting into the incubator, getting some different customers in the different countries, was there, was there the, sort of that, that product market fit, right? Finding the ideal customer. What did you, is there anything particular you learned about the customers that you, you didn't know when you first started saying, hey, people need to find work and need to match them up and, and get them connected. So what, how did, because doing a marketplace where somebody's looking and somebody's selling is always hard. So what's, what's harder to recruit for? Is it the person buying services or the ser- person offering services? What's harder? Well, both are hard. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's called it. That's why it's called a chicken and egg problem. You know, the question is, did the chicken come first or the egg come first, right? So both are hard. So because if, you, if, if, if you don't really maintain the demand on, on either side, um, you find that, you know, the workers are a lot more than the clients or, the, or there's no work opportunity for clients to, to actually get, then definitely it can balance out. So what we then did really um, starting off was to first ensure we had a good pool of the, of the skilled people. Um, you know, the idea then was, okay, regardless of if we, work, if we have work opportunities or not, how can we secure a large pool of people that you know, need work? And then how can we start basically verifying them to ensure that they have the right skills that the market needs? Um, so of course, then what we also had to do was to run surveys, right? Um, for both companies and then individuals to figure out what are the major skills that you need. Um, you know, do you need skill A, skill B, skill C, uh, and what are the, basically the major challenges you're facing? You know, but because I was during the pandemic, it was very unpredictable. And I think, you know, looking back, the decision probably I made that probably right now, person may not really make, you know, because right now it's like there are no more lockdowns. But at the moment, at that time, you know, a, a month or two later, there could be a lockdown. So what happened was, you mentioned something about product market fit. We wanted to start off with services that are focusing in homes, um, you know, things like painting, electrical works. But then during that time, people were at home and they didn't really have enough cash flow to basically pay off for or provide more opportunities on a much regular basis. And that's when I wouldn't say we pivoted, but then from the data, it showed that um, people in the self care space, um, actually, for them, they're continuously making at least more money. Or that more opportunities in relation to, um, to the home services. So in terms of product market fit, then the idea was great. From the data, let's then transition and first start with the self-care space, and then we build on from there. Got it. And so that that you probably that was pretty challenging building of services in the COVID, and then they're open and then they're locked down. So in building that, that's where are we are we getting close to when you started the noticing the transaction fees problem are we we there yet yeah so yeah so so definitely it then occurred to us that because i mean it's a small businesses right and in the informal space in the gig economy people really want to get paid at at the end of that day if probably at the end of their work they want to be paid at the end of that day maximum maybe two days not more than two days later but most of the payment infrastructure, let's say we have 
um, on the continent or probably in different developing countries realize that um, there's still more to be done. And most of them that we have at the moment, really payment systems were paying us five or work, five working days much you know, later. Most of the major even players that we have at the moment. Um, and yet others that are still in development haven't really been put out there. So for us, it was about how do we ensure we can be able to um, build the right technology um, that can serve our clients so they can, they can be happy, they can be able to get paid and actually look after their families. Because if you look at someone like a barber, right? Um, they, it's not like they earn, you know, five in terms of maybe an hourly rate, they really earn the number of times they can actually trim someone's head, right? So if they can't get the, the pay at the end of that day and maybe attend them to wait maybe five working days later, then it's a huge problem. So it was that moment really that we, we then had to figure out, okay, cool, how do we ensure one, they get paid in time that very day? And then also how do we ensure that there are no transaction fees? Because most of these platforms, you know, fees can be 6% or more, not less than that. So that was the moment where we had to figure out how can we be able to do that. Got it. So let me re restate for the listeners. As you're helping out the marketplace, people looking for work and people wanting work, you notice that all the, all the fees of doing the payments, it was taking five days and the transaction fees were pretty expensive. And that is a huge burden for this type of worker in, in your continent, in, in Africa. And so you went about building, solving that problem. So what, what have you done to try, what are you doing to figure that out? What, what, where are you at in building out that system? Yeah, so basically for us, uh, what we've basically done is to work on different APIs uh, where we can be guaranteed that at least um, within our ecosystem, any man that comes in, any man that goes out, um, we ensure we don't charge as compared to the market rates out, out there because 6% is, is too much. So we limit that as much as we can, but also in terms of settlement time, we do it that very day. Um, so for us, that has been our core um, value that we've been able to add to our customers. Of course, it's, it's, there's still more to be done, right? But at least that's the starting point of where we are now. Got it. And uh, wonderful. And so what, as you're as you're looking forward and you've gone through this journey and you're looking forward, um, what what did you learn the most about building this marketplace app? What have you learned the most? What 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 surprised you the most? Well, not to really surprise me, but rather I wouldn't say I'd forgotten, but probably something I hadn't consciously taken note of. I think. In everything else I've done before, I literally made the first sale. Um, and basically what does that to an entrepreneur is that you get to know immediately, or you rather get to, to product market fit. In other words, you get the first user, you can get to user two, user three, till user 10, and probably even a lot more users. So I think probably what I hadn't consciously taken note of was this time around, I didn't ask and feel on ground to make the first sale, and I feel some extent that really slowed us down because even before probably build or bring on more people on the team, you would really want to know how the sale process looks like. 
so that they can easily probably get onboarded and maybe scale it up a little bit more or further. So I think because of COVID, right, I was in Mauritius, I actually ran this for about six or so months remotely, uh, building a team remotely, and then I had to come on, on ground much later on. Um, so I think if I was probably doing it again, or maybe for some other person, then I would say um, it's important for the founder to actually make the first sale. Um, because that gives you a lot more information about the user and a lot more information about um, maybe how you can easily onboard other people on the team to actually do such a role. I think Got it. That's, yeah. 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 Is that, that's that customer intimacy. It's really talking to the customer, knowing exactly what they're feeling, what their worries are, what their problems are, how they go about doing things. It's, you know, having that firsthand, you learn it very well. And so as you move forward as in running your company, are you, do you continue now? Do you do sales yourself or, or how do you keep that customer intimacy going? How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. So sometimes actually in Shue, I go on board, let's say a couple of saloons uh, or a couple of spas, you know, maybe like in Kigali. So oftentimes I may, you know, figure out, okay, so maybe this is the priority list you're going to work on. And then I go there myself, right? So I go there myself, I interact with the barbers, the saloons, I interact with the managers. Um, and you really get a feel. And by the way, even don't know the local language, really, right? So it makes me use a lot of, let's say, business language. Because I think that for any business person, oftentimes, if you can be able to address the risks that another business person um, is going to face, and if you can be able to solve them while you're also providing value to them, they can really relate to you. Um, even when I don't know, let's say the local language in spoken in maybe Rwanda, um, and some of the Babas don't necessarily even speak um, maybe um, fluent English, as you would maybe expect, but probably are very fluent in French, which I'm not. Um, <laughs> the nuances, the nuances of business and understanding that this is the pain that they face, and this is how you're solving it on, on your product. And then um, these are the risks that maybe you've, you've addressed that they are inquiring about and you've actually been, been able to address them. I think that for me, that has been helpful. Um, and, and I get to pick on different things on maybe what our product roadmap would be like or what we need to do in the future. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I've been able to, um, to keep in the loop of engaging with the users. Right, so even, even with the language barrier, reaching out and helping and showing that connection and helping them. I like that. Now you use the term Bubba. Is that what you're yeah. calling? What is a Bubba? Oh, okay. I think maybe you're pronouncing it maybe in a different accent. Um, Bubba is like a person who cuts hair. Um, oh, a barber. We would say, yeah. uh, we would say the R barber. Yeah, so I think just a, a difference in the word pronounced. Nice. Okay. I, I, I was thinking it was the boss, a new, a different term for the boss. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. And so that's a great learning. I, you know, we've spoken now, you know, the time has flown by. It's been about 30 minutes, uh, a little bit more than that. It, it, what would you tell, what would you want to tell a, an entrepreneur that's, you know, go back to your 20-year-old version of yourself and they're thinking about doing something, what would you want to tell them? 
Um, I really would say they should trust their intuition. I think if, if they have an idea, um, because most of these things that we do, actually, it's when you actually move, okay, take a step forward. So for example, what I really did here was having something on my mind and then I really thought deeply about it and I had to more or less like sit down and actually put together different pieces all together in terms of a puzzle. But then that puzzle is more or less like a hypothesis. So it's something you need to test. So I think what I would tell them is one, trust your intuition, two, whatever ideas that you have, probably sit down somewhere. It may not be in a day or two, but rather put down the ideas into like one major piece. But that piece is more or less like a hypothesis. And then start off as fast as you can. Um, I think execution is very important to then be able to reduce all the different, let's say, unknowns um, into knowns. Um, Okay, maybe I'm not going so much into yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe technicalities, but rather be able to reduce um, the different risks that um, your idea has at that moment. Um, it's by getting by validating it that maybe you can be able to um, to get out the value that you can add to community and maybe make traction. Excellent, wonderful advice. How does that so? How does the audience get in touch with you or what help do you need with your business and you get an opportunity to shout out to them? What would you like to, what help do you need? Yeah, I think uh, mainly three things. One is always talent. I think talent always makes a difference. So I think if there are folks who really want to work with us um, in different, in different maybe areas, I think that would be welcome. Um, so of course, the beach is always, always captain investment because I think the potential in Africa is so huge. Um, I think Africa by, 20, by 2050, we shall have about a quarter of everyone in the world here. So capital, I think, is something that's very important. So I think having that now to build some of the robust infrastructure that we need to really scale, I think that would be very, very important. Because as you notice, some of the infrastructure we've been able to actually work on ourselves or basically pulling different partners is a result of not having better alternatives in place. Um, but having you know, the right capital will definitely help us then um, accelerate our journey um, moving forward. And then of course, the third bit is just building cute relationships, right? You may not have something immediately getting out of it at the moment, but being able to reach out and saying, hey, I see what you're doing. Um, you know, How can I give you a couple of advice? And I think that would be very, very helpful. Of course, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn. I think I'm very much- Yeah, we'll have, we'll have all that in the yeah. show notes so people can get in contact with you. It's been an absolute pleasure to share your journey from, it's not even over yet. You're a, yacht, you're a lot younger than me and you've got a lot going forward, starting entrepreneurship very early and resilience and getting up and solving problems, which is fantastic. So thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it and appreciate you sharing your journey so other people can too feel, you know, they're on the same journey. Um, thank you, Philip. I appreciate the opportunity. And being, I think, the first from the continent, um, I'm sure there, will, there are a lot more amazing stories out there. Um, definitely it's all about learning from one another. I think, as you mentioned, uh, solving problems is more or less universal. So thank you, Philip. You're welcome. So if you've, so thank you very much for listening. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder. If today you heard something that said, ha, huh, I didn't think about that. That's great. Well, share it with another entrepreneur too, so they too can shorten their journey. Leave a five-star review. 
And if you want to talk to me or have a question you want me to address on the show, you can reach out to me in the show notes, the Ask the Savvy Founder. Thanks for listening. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and business lives. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder. Wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.